Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for being here. This is an important conversation we're having today with Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation. Ryan is an adopted, who Ryan grew up in an adopted family. He is an adoptive parent himself now. And the Radiance Foundation is working to advance adoption as a healing and selfless act that can bring wholeness and healing to the child and the birth parents, which even... I don't know, in very recent history, this would not be a controversial stand for Ryan to take. And yet today, the pushback and the blowback from declaring such a thing has been intense. Ryan, welcome back to Cradle My Heart Radio. It's great to be here with you, Kim. The Radiance Foundation has uh, does research and creatively presents the truth about abortion, as well as presenting the beautiful alternative adoption through many various channels of communication, and we'll find out about some of them. But Ryan is also, uh, he's an Emmy Award-winning creative professional. He's a columnist, a, a factivist, I love that, and he's also written his book, Not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong. Ryan, we're going to talk about adoption today and the anti-adoption movement. And one of the things that I think is so important to remember is that adoption is not only needed in the case of, you know, a birth mother who can't uh, swing parenting and will need to place the child for adoption just because of her life circumstances, but adoption is something that could be rescuing. What what is what are the figures for the children who are aging out of our foster care system and in effect are of uh, orphans in America today? Well, I believe that it's it's less than ten percent that ages out, but that's still too many children who don't get to be loved. And so every every child in that foster care system is precious and needs to be protected. Each year, there are about 120,000, so people have understanding, there are about 120,000 children that are in the foster care system. And if you look at the latest year reported, 2020, there were, I think, 58,000, it was just under 58,000 who were adopted. So that left about 64,000 children who were still waiting, you know, waiting to be loved. And that should never, that should never happen. There shouldn't be any child. In fact, if we, as a Christian, I, I look at it this way. If only one family in, I think it's 30% of evangelical and conservative congregations, just one family, in about a third of those churches, 
chose to adopt, there would not be any child waiting to be adopted. There wouldn't be. But yet, that's not what's actually happening. And so it's, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, the emancipation, I said it's just under 10%. It is, it's actually 9%, if I remember correctly. So 9% of children age out of that system. That shouldn't be. Not, not in a country like America, where there are so many people who can provide not just you know, their hearts and home, but opportunity for these children to flourish. Oh, my goodness. And when you think, when I think about how much I still, probably more, needed my parents uh, at that age at which they are, as we say, aging out, you know, and when I think about even my kids, it's like in those late teen years, they need you a thousand percent more than they needed you at age two. But you better be available for that five minutes when they want to talk about it, right? Right. So, right. oh, thank you for bringing that uh, into such context for us, because maybe you just right there have inspired someone to do something about that. Uh, so, Ryan, let's talk about the anti-adoption movement. I know because of my work in the pregnancy help community that uh, very few women who will go to a pregnancy help organization in a problem pregnancy will choose adoption. It's a very small percentage still. And I think part of the reason is adoption is still being stigmatized. Uh, historically, someone has said, you know, the orphan trains that happened uh, during the Great Depression, as children were, you know, warehoused around the country, farmed out as workers to families that purchased them, really, with the adoption fee, created one layer of stigma. I guess we could talk about that, whether you agree that that's really at the root of it. But adoption is actively being stigmatized by many powerful forces in the anti-abortion movement. And I want to give you a chance to open our eyes about that for those who, who may not be aware of it. Well, <laughs> Unfortunately, it goes hand-in-hand with pro-abortion activism. So you're seeing things from even some adoptees, uh, like Angela Tucker, who's well-known for her (laughs) anti-adoption stance. It's just so bizarre for a person to say, I would have been better off dead. And I will tell you that out of the 10 children in the family that I grew up in, 10 of us were adopted. None of us were better off dead. We were all better off loved. And so the anti-adoption movement makes these bizarre sort of claims. Of course, they wouldn't want violence you know, exacted upon them, but yet they promote violence against the most helpless and you know, demonize adoption as something that's destructive. They, they call it you know, the, the mortal wound or the primal wound. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing more wounding than ripping a child limb from limb inside his or her mother's womb. I mean, that's a wound. These other traumas can actually heal, but you can't heal a dead person. I mean, unless you're Jesus. You can't heal a dead person. And this is the reality of the anti-adoption movement, that they are promoting death over the the social good of adoption. In fact, they denounce that whole thing of calling adoption a social good. And it is. You have someone like Simone Biles, the world's most decorated gymnast, who was adopted by her grandparents, adopted out of the foster care system, and was it last year at this time, during the summer, not this time, uh, a year from last summer, on Instagram, she pretty much announced her pro-abortion worldview and was saying how adoption's expensive and, and kids shouldn't have to suffer trauma in the foster care system. And I'm thinking, 
you suffered that trauma, but guess what? You were loved. Trauma doesn't have to define the rest of your life. It should be, you know, a reference point, not a resting place. And yet she exemplifies the beauty of adoption, that her grandparents sacrificed and loved her and her sibling. A multi-ethnic adoption, right? No, her grandparents, um, not in that case. Not in that case. Not in that case. Because I wonder how much... And this may be even spillover, even when it's not multi-ethnic. You know, it's the fruit of the poisonous tree that an adoptee would be self-loathing. Because if I, you know, if I live in an in a village that says uh, only white supremacists uh, would adopt children of color for their own savior complex, right? If I grow up as an adoptee hearing that message, and let's say my family hasn't been ideal for my emotional nurture— suddenly it's, you know, what am I left with, right? I mean, if that becomes, if you take that on as an identity, I imagine that it would be very shattering to begin to, you know, to take on that belief. And this is what's being espoused in public schools and middle schools and high schools throughout colleges. I can't tell you how many parents write to us at the Radiance Foundation and say, oh, my word, we've been in this adoptive situation, and it's just been the last several years, and all of a sudden our children have turned on us, our children hate us, or they talk about how we just don't understand this, you know, white, patriarchal, and that we have to understand, too, when you talk about critical race theory and, and LGBT queer theory, all of this is all tied to the same Marxist theory, which one wants to abolish the church, wants to abolish the family, and sever the tie between parent and child, because the state owns the child in Marxism. So all this stems from that. So when you talk about the anti-adoption movement, it keeps talking about how adoption is patriarchal because it relies on this patriarchal sense of what a family should look like, a married mother and father. I'm sorry, social science studies over and over affirm the fact that children best flourish in an intact married family with a married mother and father. And that's, that just can't be denied, but that's part of the resistance is that it's somehow patriarchy, that's somehow white supremacy. And what I'm saying is, this, that's such garbage. As someone who is, who is brown, who's both black and white, the issue is not white supremacy. The issue is sin supremacy. And the anti-adoption movement is promoting the violence of abortion, which is sin against the body. It's sin against the woman who's being exploited. It's sin against the father who's being relieved of any kind of responsibility. And it's sin against the child who's being destroyed. Every single one of us is made in the image of God, and the anti-adoption pro-abortion movement does not see human beings that way. Ryan Bomberger is our guest. And Ryan, as you talk about the positives of abortion, you know, you've said things like, uh, I'm sorry, the positives of adoption. Adoption unleashes purpose in the natural and the supernatural. And I want to give you a chance to to talk about that, because I think that's that's a message that can really change hearts. Um, adoption, I don't know, there are stereotypes around it, even for those who don't necessarily have the stigma and the, and certainly not all the baggage of these new stigma that are being creative, uh, created every day. But there's still, you know, the reluctance, the fear, the lack of understanding, stereotypes. Um, but, but, your statement that, no, this is unleashing purpose, not only in this world, but in the next. 
And I want to give you a chance to tell us how that works and, and why that's so. Absolutely. In fact, my wife Beth and I were were speaking at a conference together as a married couple on marriage. In fact, I think the presentation was called Marriage, Mayhem, and Adoption. And one of the sponsors, it was a pretty large conference, and one of the sponsors went to the the person coordinating it and said to that, that individual, I'm really concerned about the Bomberger's focus on adoption, because adoption's not biblical. And I thought, what? Um, have you cracked open your Bible? Of course adoption is biblical. <laughs> Ephesians 1.5. It's the way that we can be reconciled to God through Christ, and that's what Ephesians 1.5 says. He predestined us to sonship or daughtership through adoption, through Jesus Christ. It is the paradigm that exists so that we can be part of the family of God. I mean... It is such. That's why I talk about in the natural and the supernatural. It brings healing and wholeness. It's how God has designed things. I mean, look at the the greatest humanly unplanned story ever told is actually the birth of Christ. If you look at the genealogy in Matthew, it doesn't end with Mary. Who does it end with? Joseph, who is not biologically related to Jesus, who was told by the angel to give Jesus his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And I find it so remarkable remarkable because you had a courageous teen mother, teen mom, who, which was very common, obviously, in, in that time frame. Obviously, society has changed. But a courageous teen mom, I don't know how many mothers have ever had to flee a crazed king who wanted to kill their firstborn, but she was certainly courageous. She could have been disgraced by Joseph. She was chased by this you know, crazed king. And then you had a father who chose to love and not to leave. He chose adoption over abandonment. So here we have the greatest humanly unplanned story ever told that's all about adoption and a baby whose purpose was unleashed because two parents who didn't plan it themselves, obviously God planned it all, but two parents who had to decide whether or not or how they were going to respond to what was humanly unplanned. And it changed the world. And I think of my family and my parents loving the mess out of all of us and unleashing our individual God-given purpose. I mean, that's what adoption does. It unleashes what God intended. Did he intend for there to be dysfunction and brokenness in the beginning? No way. But he uses adoption to bring wholeness and healing. And yes, I understand that sometimes that, that healing can be lifelong. I do understand that. I have siblings who came from some horrific backgrounds. But I will tell you, you look at their lives, and you look at the way my parents just unconditionally loved all of us. They're different people. Their trajectory is so radically different than what the professionals said, the professional psychologists and some of the doctors that this, this particular child won't be able to do this, and that child won't be able to do that. I'm sorry. That was shattered. All of them was shattered. It's amazing what happens with self-sacrificial love. Mm. And that's why... Christians have to have a better understanding of what adoption is. It's not a last resort. It's not like lesser than, but it is a powerful way, a powerful paradigm that God uses all the time, whether in the natural and always in the supernatural, to create forever family. Mm. Oh, and I think, too, you know, some, some of us have this uh, dangerous little bit of knowledge about adoption and attachment and so armchair psychology says, oh, that child will never be able to bond in that family, which is, right. of course, damaging to every adoptive family to be carrying around an attitude like that, right? Um, exactly. You know, it's you're, you're prejudicing 
others to, you know, a, a huge demographic, a huge, you know, slice of our Christian community. And so I think it's really important that we open our hearts and really listen to what Ryan has to say today, especially if you're a church leader, um, to take that to take that challenge that, you know, can you encourage one family in your congregation to take this step and there won't be foster children in America. They'll all be in homes, loved. Not to speak of what that would do then for, you know, infant adoptions. And as we, as we think about infant adoptions, Brian, uh, Ryan, Ryan Bomberger is our guest. Um, let's talk about the Respect for Marriage Act. We're recording this in mid-December, might air early in January. Um, but, you know, and that's kind of a developing story is, is the reason I mentioned this. But tell us about the latest developments there and how it impacts the abortion movement and the anti-abortion movement. Well, what I like to refer to as the Zero Respect for Marriage Act, because <laughs> it, it dismantles marriage. I mean, anytime a word becomes everything, it becomes nothing. I mean, you can't define a word by everything, and that's what's happening, and that's what's happened with this legislation that was passed. And it's so tragic, because marriage needs to be defended. It is the bedrock of every society. I mean, a married man and woman are the foundation of every society. That's just a reality. Procreation can only come from that type of, of relationship. And when I say, okay, obviously children can be had outside of marriage. What I'm saying is it is the strongest part of every community when you have intact marriages. I mean, as someone who has spoken on fatherlessness for years and years and years, fatherlessness is devastating. Sure, kids can, can be born outside of marriage, but it leads to all kinds of negative consequences. And so I encourage men to step up to fatherhood. Even if you're not married to the mother, step up to fatherhood. But the, the Zero Respect for Marriage Act pretends that other things are marriage like the marriage between two men and two women. And my question to these politicians and the handful of GOP senators and you know, House of Representatives, uh, you know, congressmen and congresswomen who decided that they were not only going to defy the Constitution and defy the wishes of their constituents, but also <laughs> defy common sense and their very party platform to vote for this bill, I want to ask them a question. That, well, why don't you legalize bigamy? Why don't you legalize polygamy? Why don't you legalize incestual relationships? Why don't you legalize the relationship between adults and minors? Why should age matter? I mean, if, and this is what Senator Chuck Schumer said, you know, this confers, you know, human dignity on people and it doesn't matter who you love. Well, it doesn't? So if love is love, hashtag love is love, if, that, if that's what applies, then why isn't every relationship, you know, validated? Objectophilia, people who fall in love with inanimate objects and try to marry them. Yes, that's actually happening, people. It's insane. But that's why when they keep on expanding this definition, what they're doing is they're actually causing the disintegration of the very institution that every society needs. And that leads to the impact on, on religious organizations, nonprofit organizations. And they say, oh, no, they're not going to be impacted by this. Of course they're going to be, because the very next bill they're going to try to ram through is the Equality Act, and the Equality Act will then make it a crime to, dis and I'm putting this in quotes, discriminate against anything LGBTQ, and that goes for faith-based adoption agencies. And we've already seen the evidence of that. The ACLU and Lambda Legal 
have been trying to shut down, and they've been successful in Boston. They've been successful in Illinois. They tried in Philly, and they failed because that case went to the Supreme Court. But they're trying to shut down faith-based adoption agencies. And so they're discriminated against you know, these agencies for who they are, Christians, and who they love, vulnerable children who need a married mother and father. Well, and you, you can see that if preference is being given to other kinds of marriage other than a man and a woman, of course, they're soon going to be preferencing them as parents as well as in the adoption arena, which is, you know, what you've, what you've just laid out for us. Uh, and even as I'm listening to you, Ryan, articulate it so clearly, I'm thinking you are a very courageous person because now you're leaving yourself open to a charge of hate speech. It, that's that's been going on for a long, for a long time. I mean, that's why you know part of what we do through the Radiance Foundation is one of our things is we fight factophobia, and we say truth ain't hate. Let love illuminate, and that's the whole tactic of those on the left or those who are lost. They want to shut you down. They want to silence you by calling you whatever phobic. I mean. That's that's kind of nothing new. It's kind of like when, you know, I was discussing issues of race on college campuses and I'm called an Uncle Tom. I, I find it so funny. One, because they've obviously not read the novel, you know, Uncle Tom's <laughs> Cabin, because if you're calling me the guy who gave up his life so others could be set free, go ahead. I'm an Uncle Tom for life. Yes. So you just have to let that stuff roll off. I mean, Scripture says, I mean, he says, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. You know, Christ said this to us. So it's not a surprise when people try any kind of pejorative, try to, to label you, smear you. It's going to happen. But it should never stop us from loving people, from speaking that truth in love, and in my case with a dash of sarcasm. But we have to continue to do that and not be afraid of being called a name or not be afraid of being canceled or deplatformed. It's going to happen. It's happening. But there's something far greater than our, our I don't know, our own self, I, I, the way that we feel. There's something greater than how we feel or being accepted or being loved. That's not what we're called to. We're not called to make sure that we're always being loved and that we're always accepted. We're called well, to preach the gospel. Yes. And, you know, but here's the thing. Once they've established that you are practicing hate speech, now you can be accused of threatening the lives of those you hate so with your speech. I mean, that's always the next step, right? That's always the um, the real accusation is that you are threatening the lives of what? Trans teens are going to be suicidal because they're not accepted. I don't know what the leap of logic actually is. I don't know if there are, you know, any data or statistics that back any of that up. But, you know, let's return to this person that you mentioned, um, Angela Tucker, because in her aggression in the anti-abortion movement and really almost aggression toward herself in saying, you know, I should have been aborted. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting her, but that's the idea that she's hoping to convey. What is the really what is the dynamic that's at play there? Is it just an extension of abortion culture that, and the culture of death that says, you know, uh, making a decision, making a choice is the best possible thing, even if it's an end of life? <sighs> Unpacking Angela Tucker and those like her is really, really difficult, and it's really tragic. 
um, she has a voice because her birth mom did not choose to end her life. In fact, I, I remember reading something where she was so excited about meeting her birth mother uh, and, and saying something to the fact that it was a dream come true. But what adoptees don't know is what their lives would have been like had they not been placed for adoption, if someone had not made the loving plan of adoption. And so the assumption is always that our lives would have been normal, that we would have flourished just as much. In many of these cases, no, not at all. And so the Angela Tuckers of the world who, who talk about it would have been better to have been aborted or, or even make that sort of suggestion, it's a tragic thing because it's denying her own value and her own contribution in this world. Mm. I, I don't I don't understand it. As an as an adoptee, uh, as I'm watching two of my adopted kids grow and understand their value and my biological children who understand they are just as precious, I, I don't understand that mindset that you would promote death over being loved. I, I and it's so well said because there really isn't any rational explanation for it. Ryan, we've got a minute remaining, and I just want to give you the opportunity to pray for those who've been listening, uh, especially for church leaders, ministry leaders, uh, for their part in this war on adoption. Yes. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that we can be your hands and your feet. And even more importantly, we can be your, 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 your voice and your heart in one-on-one conversations, God, and in the public space, workspace. God, we thank you that you give us opportunities to speak life and hope to others. God, may we not be discouraged. May we not be so weighed down by the heaviness of, of the world and its losses, but just encouraged and motivated that you are the God who transforms. You are the God who redeems. So thank you, God, for those who are willing to be courageous and speak life into any situation. And we thank you, God, for our very lives, that we can be the ambassadors of Christ that you've called us to be. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. CradleMyHeart.org to learn more about Ryan Bomberger. Thanks so much for being with us. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at CradleMyHeart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.